Welcome to Manager Tools. Mistakes We've Made, Part 2. This cast answers these questions. What mistakes has Manager Tools made? And what guidance would you like to change? Folks, our M Conference is October 9th and 10th in Dallas. It's the first for us. We're limiting it to 50 people. We'll probably only do it annually, and I have two important announcements about it. First of all, almost all of our speakers will be staying for both days. The benefit of that is for you to get to know them. I've told them to expect to have conversations off the podium with the attendees. And second, your $3,000 fee includes 10 years worth of your license for free, which is a $2,000 value. So in fact, the real cost of the conference is only $1,000. Come to the website, check it out, register. I hope to see you there. So now to my favorite, we've talked about, you know, two of our mistakes saying I hate, I hate HR um, and engagement is stupid. Those are two mistakes. And then third one we're going to talk about is us saying that culture doesn't matter. And I love this part. I think this is, um, I think folks will find this terribly useful. Yeah, I've seen some looks on people's faces when I say culture doesn't matter. Hang on, seriously, dude. I now realize that probably some of them knew Drucker and knew what Drucker thought about culture, which we'll get into, uh, and they couldn't figure out why I was saying it. And, you know, basically, I said it. I meant it, but I didn't mean it the way most people did because I communicated so poorly. I've had a fairly dismissive tone when organizations or managers or both for different reasons, talk about culture. And I regret the stance we've taken on culture because like engagement, we know many of you have to deal with internal discussions about engagement, about culture, and so on. And for us to just dismiss it and so on is not helpful to you. It doesn't even help really that Peter Drucker agrees with us because what I was saying was I was trying too hard to be, well, what I said was true, but it wasn't helpful. And that's not a good thing. And so we're sorry that it wasn't clear. If you heard me say something like culture isn't important, don't blame it on the culture kind of thing. It was too nuanced for my own good, and I should have been more clear. Okay, that said, why do we take the approach? Here's why. Because when I hear culture, I cynically wonder which of the three cultures that have come to inhabit our vernacular these days as professionals, which of those three are we talking about? The first definition of culture is what your organization has on its website. Let's, in fact, for purposes of distinction for now, call it website culture. It's full of really impressive words, lofty ideals. You could probably list a hundred lovely words right now, just write them down, Stream of consciousness, brainstorm, let's go. Go to each of the Fortune 1000 company websites and discover that those 100 words capture every culture word that the biggest companies in the world say that they have. Okay, well, that's cloud cuckoo land, guys. (laughs) It's these kinds of what I'll call mission statement efforts that lead to the phrase, people are our most important asset which may be the most frequently said thing that is designed to be a good thing and then comes out, it is said in a cynical way. It's interesting. Nobody's ever said, uh, 
our potted trees in the front of our building our most important asset. Like, what are you going to say? Are you going to say yeah. our machines are most I think the, the only people that mean it are the people who say it in the meeting that is being captured by the web person who's going to have to type it up. I don't know. Anyway, you need only learn that your corporate culture is being changed. That's just freaking hilarious. I can't even comprehend. Oh, we're going to change the culture. Based on a new mission statement and corporate marketing effort to know it's all puffery, okay? Website culture, not culture, what really is culture, which we'll get to, but what people describe as their culture, when they get up and speak at conferences, not at the M conference, but at others. Um, Website culture isn't really taken seriously by anyone other than the corporate marketing folks and the HR slash recruiting staff who have to parrot, okay? So it doesn't get talked about a lot. Read, yes, people, you know, employee, future employees or, you know, applicants go there and read about the website, but it's not used and it's worthless. And my apologies to those very few of you whose core values are listed on your website and I could find 95% of the employees in your company saying, yeah, those are our values. We're pretty clear about that. I apologize and congratulate you because that's great. The second culture after website culture, which is just, again, cloud cuckoo land, we're going to call it received culture, which is a tip of my hat to Britain. This is the culture managers use to describe what it's like to work at their organization. This is my experience with the culture. When the culture impacts me, this is how it's received by me. And so therefore I'm calling this received culture. It's usually what they're talking about when they're explaining why they can't do something. For instance, I can't do email three times a day. We have an email culture. (laughs) Um, You might think that because it's what we experience as management, we might want to call that real culture. But it's definitely not real, okay, in terms of culture. So we're not going to call it that. It's slightly more real than website culture because that's unicorns and puffy clouds and, you know, pink gumdrops. But it's still not actually culture. Received culture is the catch-all idea for most non-senior employees' experiences with their lack of power. I'm sorry to say it, I mean, but somebody has to say these things, right? It's just easier, and to be clear, guys, we do it too here at Manager Tools, to blame one's lack of willingness to engage in a behavior on a perceived threat or consequence visited on them by a more powerful force, usually their boss or their organization, okay? You blame the culture. Well, we can't, I can't do that because of the culture, okay? Professionals tell us all the time. They can't do something. Mandra Tools deals with received culture virtually every day. I, I can't do that. The culture wouldn't allow it. One of our favorite examples of this is the tech company that had serious span of control problems at its frontline levels. Directors were supervising four managers, but managers were supervising 50 individual contributors. And I can't mention this tech company by name, but but uh, it says something about their respect for the actual individual contributor roles. Uh, it wasn't high. Obviously, look, you can't do weekly one-on-ones, which is what we were there to implement with 50 different directs. So 
we recommended in some cases to have team leads start doing one-on-ones because there were team leads in the 50 that were reporting the managers. And one division of this big company was vehemence. It's that, that's not the culture. You can't do this at our company. That's against the culture. This was in a meeting where one of the other division VPs was in attendance, and she said out loud, well, we do. <laughs> and the point is, people say, well, I can't do that. And then in many cases, they then morph that into – well, that's the culture. I, I can't. I, I look above me and I don't see support for my idea. And so therefore, it's not supported. So therefore, the culture says I can't. Nobody's actually telling me no, but I have a general sort of uh, broad spectrum culture I can blame it on that no one really agrees with, but no one wants to disagree with. And therefore, I can't do it or I can't change or whatever. That's why we say received culture this sense of blaming it on the organization is not actual culture. And to be fair, if you're a manager and you've seen an, another manager try to do something different and he or she got punished, it's easy after a while to blame that on the culture. We oughtn't, but it's easy to. But received culture is just sort of an excuse bucket is really what it boils down to. Now, the third culture is actually called culture because – yeah, we're making some silly definitions here to help explain how people verbalize their experience with culture, but actual culture is incredibly important. I mentioned Drucker earlier. Here's what Drucker said. And uh, if you know Drucker, you know he's talked about strategy and how you're going to grow and what does the future say and so on. But Drucker still says culture eats strategy for breakfast. Now, that's one of the things that makes me excited about being at Manager Tools. And you're probably thinking, wait, Mark, you don't talk about culture. And I said, well, yeah, we talk about culture all the time. Well, then, Mark, why have you been talking dismissively about culture? Well, no, I've been talking dismissively about what other people think culture is or what they want to blame on culture. Before I get to what it actually is, let's say this. Oh, no, no. Yeah, I know. You just had them, you had them on the edge of their seats. Here it is. Here's the juicy part. Okay, go yeah. ahead. Okay. So, in one of the first Google hits, if you go do if you Google search uh culture eat strategy for breakfast, one of the first hits you can get on the first page is for a <laughs> management consulting company to go figure. And the company's website says, "Culture eat strategy for breakfast" is a famous quote from legendary management consultant and writer Peter Drucker. To be clear, he didn't mean that strategy was unimportant. Rather, that a powerful and empowering culture was a surer route to organizational success. Now, you have to look carefully, but basically, guys, that is such a deep perversion, wrongness, badness of what Drucker said and meant that it's sad that it's on the first page. No offense to Google. I love Google. But it's completely normal for this to happen. Because people get confused between website culture and received culture and actual culture, people refer to that Drucker quote and then interpret him to mean that what they think your culture should be is what Drucker was saying. Listen, it, it says here that, uh, uh, that Drucker meant that a powerful and empowering culture was a good idea. Guys, Drucker didn't believe in empowerment. 
I really wanted to save that. That's why I put this one last, culture last, because I got to say that about empowerment, which is essentially a form of engagement, right? He didn't believe in empowerment at all. These people took Drucker, culture eats strategy for breakfast, one of the most important quotes in management leadership history, and they so misunderstand it, they're going to say, oh, no, what he meant was empowerment. He hated empowerment. If, if you don't understand, Drucker believed in a concept called the reservation of authority, which for those of you who are familiar with history would say, ah, that sounds like something from the U.S. Constitution, which basically says that all rights and privileges not specifically given to the federal government in this case are left in the hands of the states and the individuals. And that's the opposite, say, of ty tyranny, where tyranny is, or maybe a good example, what would be a good geopolitical historical example? Prussia would be a good one where you would say, yeah, Prussia, basically, you don't have anything unless we command you to do it. It was a, you know, feudal proto-militaristic state, okay? A republic, like most of the modern democracies of today, basically say, no, you have individual rights and privileges. And if we spell out that there are some things reserved for a higher level, those are ours. Rest of them are yours. If we don't say anything about it, it's yours. Okay. Well, that's what Drucker believed about organizations. He didn't think that the people at the top should have everything and then decide what everybody else down below should have. The idea that senior people would be empowering people to Drucker is ludicrous. Drucker would say, nobody needs empowering. We know what the senior people are supposed to do. We know what the VPs are supposed to do. You're supposed to do everything else. Go do. Go. Right? Give them great deals of freedom, and the best ones will rise to the top. Unfortunately, if you then say, oh, no, we don't want you to have that much freedom. We're going to start measuring you on things like engagement. You'll choose people who are actually good at getting good scores on tests rather than maybe good scores in terms of results. Look, this is a case where Drucker talks about culture and someone else appropriates his culture discussion to talk about website culture, empowerment. Okay. So what did Drucker mean? The reason it's important is because what Drucker meant is what culture is. Culture is the sum total of all the behaviors in your organization. Boom. There you go. Yeah. Your organization's culture is what it does. Your org's culture is not what it says it does. Your culture is not what you stand for. This whole modern thing of who I am versus what I do is it's a silly. Anyway, your culture is not who you are. It's not a lofty mission statement. It doesn't get decided in corporate mission meetings. And guys, it's probably your culture is not very politically correct. But no offense, I'm also not saying it's not politically incorrect. What Drucker meant was that if you do the right things well, if you execute, even with a weak strategy, you will win against a competitor with a great strategy, but weak execution. This is why Drucker spent so much time talking about executives, because executives are responsible for execution. Drucker would go on to say that culture is whether your meetings run on time whether you reward performance, whether you promote based on performance, whether you meet deadlines, 
whether you meet your own quality standards, whether you build lasting relationships with suppliers, whether you know what your customers want, whether you cut costs versus trying to control them, whether you know what key metrics to track and, and, and whether or not you make changes if you're exceeding them, whether you wrote a, root out theft and abuse, whether you achieve the mission that you said you would. All of this stuff that Drucker is essentially implying about culture is what might be small ball, right? It's not fancy. It's not heroic. There's no cloud cuckoo land. There's no website culture here. There are no website words other than maybe mission. Drucker didn't think individuals needed to be heroic. In fact, they, he didn't even think they really needed to be inspired. He thought organizations helped all of us end up doing heroic things through the multiplication of our talents. Culture is just behavior aggregated. But that's what exactly no one means when they're talking about culture, except us and Drucker. What that means then is when somebody starts using fancy words, website culture stuff, I roll my eyes. Okay? Phrases and aphorisms are not what people do day to day. And when we roll our eyes, when we do that, when managers tell us things can't be done, that's because we know that they're talking in received culture, not actual culture. Of course it can be done. It's just behavior, and behavior can be done. Gosh, if all we could do was what our culture right now allows, how could we ever innovate? Oh, no, wait, that's part of our culture too. But the problem is you can't have it both ways. You can't blame the culture because that's not the culture and then have a, a bullet in your website, a culture that says, innovate. So when people talk about culture, roll your eyes or, you know, don't roll your eyes, roll your eyes inside your head, maybe smile at them, okay? Because what people mean about culture is not culture. And if you want to change the culture, my friend, you can change your behavior and the culture has just changed. And if the culture, if the behavior change you engage in produces better results, it will spread like a virus in the organization and you will have been the person that started the culture change. But don't complain that your company's not innovative and change worthy enough and then blame the culture the received culture for the fact that you can't do anything like doing email three times a day. All that said, we know you have to deal with people talking about culture. When we said we didn't like culture, that we disagree with it, I communicated poorly because I didn't define website culture and receive culture and so on, and I regret it. Uh, we'll do a better job on that in the future. Yeah, this is this is my favorite part of the cast because when you told me many, many, many years ago, you summed it up by saying that culture was just the sum of everybody's behavior. That was a very pivotal moment of my understanding of what you were saying. Because then it's easy. You want to change culture? Just change behavior. And I can change behavior, right? Oh yeah. Culture is like, oh, I don't know what do I do about that. Yeah. Oh no, we have to get a we have to get a corporate approval slip for that. That's no, yeah. we can't do that. It's important. And if somebody, if, you, if, if you're hearing it now for the first time and it doesn't send shivers up your spine, then I don't know. I just don't know. 
Have you ever considered bringing manager tools training to your organization and wondered if we were a good fit? You'd probably be shocked to learn the different types of companies and nonprofit organizations who ask for our help. Not surprisingly, about 50% of our client organizations are technical, software, and engineering. And yet the other 50 are a healthy mix of educational organizations, pharma, aerospace, energy, healthcare, banking and finance, government, and nonprofit. Effective management and communications are not industry-specific. Our guidance applies to 90% of organizations 90% of the time. And if we come to you, we can also provide some customization to complement key messaging you want specific to your group. For more information, contact Maggie at manager-tools.com. She is happy to chat with you and share our engagement model and what we can do for you. Last point, despite our mistakes, you say we made, this, is this the bait and switch part where we've made these mistakes, but we stand by everything we yeah, say? Yeah, exactly. No, it's not. Yeah, I don't, I hope it doesn't come across that way. Uh, by the way, folks, you know that Mike loves me when he says, despite our mistakes, he could have easily put the needle in there and say, okay, Mark, despite your mistakes. <laughs> no, I own it. I, I allowed you to do it. <laughs> Chairman of the board. Spoke from like a high D, right? Exactly. I, allow, I allowed you to be stupid. I didn't want to hurt your feelings. I wanted you to feel motivated. Thank you. Yeah, I don't, I don't really have much feelings to hurt. But anyway, yeah, we stand by all of our guidance. Uh, I suppose 15 years from now, there might be a piece of guidance that I'll have to retract because I was wrong on. I keep learning. And uh, as I explore more of the world, I learn more to help me put in context everything I already know. But you'll notice that all these regrets we've had, HR, engagement, and culture, are not about our guidance. We stand by every bit of our guidance. Everything we have ever recommended you do, we still recommend. We would still encourage the same courses of action in all the situations we've put out there. We not only would still recommend it, we still, in fact, use all of our own recommendations internally. We eat our own dog food at Manager Tools. We stand by it because our community relies on us so much for actionable guidance that every time I write a show, I believe you're going to listen to listen to us, trust us, and then use that guidance within days or even minutes. And that standard is very high. Don't doubt it. I feel it. We can count hundreds, maybe even 14 years later, thousands of emails from listeners from all over the globe saying, basically, I really needed to hear that. It's like you wrote that just for me. I was struggling with that very topic. I used your guidance. It worked. And guys, we can't stress how much this psychic income has played a role in our continued and really even growing energy and desire to continue to support our community with more guidance, more recommendations. And frankly, it's a, it's a burden, okay? We feel relied upon. We worry about ever doing anything to lose your trust. One of the ways we avoid losing any trust is the standard we apply to all of our podcast guidance. The standard that we apply to our guidance, folks, is not someone can benefit by this advice. That's all too common on the low barrier to entry world of advice and guidance on careers and professionalism and management on the web. Almost any recommendation anybody could ever make could benefit somebody in a certain situation. And usually that's where they come from, 
first person anecdotes. Well, this happened to me. So it's kind of similar to what you're going through. You might want to try this. Dude, when that, when people tell you that, run for the hills. It's certainly not data. Our standard goes well beyond somebody could benefit or you might want to try this. The standard we apply to any guidance is nobody could be hurt. Now, look, that narrows the range of topics for which we can provide guidance. One of my favorite examples of this is not giving your boss feedback. You know, we stand by that guidance. We always will. And many of you said, oh, I give my boss feedback all the time. And then they discover, no, that's not what we meant. Okay, maybe I need to do a podcast about that. Uh, But the danger for us is saying it to someone or having someone believe that they could and having them do it to a boss who will punish them for it. So there are some things that we can't talk about that in a certain situation might be okay for you, but wouldn't be okay for hundreds of thousands, maybe even over time, millions of listeners. Because, guys, we know that there's a manager listening late at night in a non-English-speaking country. We're all asleep at Manager Tools. That manager who's listening is desperate for help. She's been given none by her boss or her company. She's been failed by popular themes and best-selling books, perhaps without even knowing it because she's never been exposed to those things. She wants to succeed for all the right reasons because she's an ethical professional. But nobody's helping her. She listened to us in her second language. There's going to be some lack of understanding of terms or shorthand, and I know I talk fast. She's going to misunderstand some assumptions that we didn't make clear. They're reasonable assumptions, but, but maybe she has some assumptions that are inaccurate. She's been told cultures are different, peoples are different, that won't work here, we don't do things that way here, just go along, particularly in some parts of the world because she's a woman. And folks, we refuse to put her at risk. She's the manager I have in my mind when we create our guidance. When people tell me it doesn't work, your guidance doesn't work in small companies, I scoff. That's the person I'm picturing. We would rather believe in the idea that an honest man's conscience is his pillow. And as a professional, that might loosely translate as the quality of my work is my pillow. And I want to sleep well then do what so many other people are doing now, which is hope to gain a few more listeners by being provocative, trendy, or may only work if your situation is just like mine, which it surely, surely probably isn't. We know you trust us with the recommendations we make. We could have done a few of these things better, but after 14 years, I think it proves that we're human. We're just like you. And there are days here at Bander Tools when we can be better ourselves. But we know you trust us, and we take that very seriously. And this cast is our way of saying thanks. Indeed. Before we go, we'd like to, to recognize somebody. Yeah, who are we going to recognize? God, there's so many, but one of my favorite guys in the world um, and longtime listener and licensee. We've talked about him before, but I don't know that we've ever dated, dedicated a cast to our friend Rich Rue. Yeah, Rich has been with us. Since the very beginning, I think the first day that we started selling licenses in August of 2007, Mike, is that right? That's correct. Yeah, yeah. So it's been 12 years. He was one of the original subscribers uh, all those years ago. And you guys don't realize it. I mean, we had been podcasting for, what, two years before we had any revenue plans for the company. 
And that first infusion of revenue in the form of licensee payments uh, was really important to the future of manager tools and made us believe that there was a, a chance for us to do this for a long time and serve the world in a sort of a niche and special way. But thanks to guys like Rich Rue, we're able to do it. So Rich, Mike and I love you. Thank you for being there since the beginning. Yeah. And folks, next week, we'll be talking about somebody else. We really like to recognize folks that have stayed with us so long and made all this possible, not only for us, but for every one of you listening right now. Without these folks, without Rich and people we will continue to men mention in the future, none of this would be possible. So if you know Rich, reach out, say thanks. All right, my friend, I enjoyed that immensely. Long time, but good. We'll talk to you later. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you all next week. In the meantime, have a great one. So long.